This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Hello there and thank you for downloading this Eye on Education podcast from the 27th of January. And we were thrilled to be back for our second season of Eye on Education. And today we put the focus on STEM. That's because while plenty of girls in the UAE are now studying science, maths and technology at school and university, they're not progressing with careers in the sector. We found out why and discussed what to do about it with Andrew Shear from the edtech company The Knowledge Hub. And we also spoke to Sonia Ben-Jafar from the Abdullah al Guraya Foundation for Education. We also discussed whether or not schools in the UAE are doing enough to be environmentally friendly. That was with the team from the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. And we found out how pupils are turning plastic bottles into sustainable products thanks to the team from Degrade. We also celebrated International Day of Education with a focus on how girls and boys in developing countries can still go to school. COVID-19, conflict and poverty means millions of children are missing out on their education. We found out how schools here in the UAE are trying to help. And as Disney celebrates turning 100 years old, we found out how one school strategist is using the theme parks to create engaging lessons for children in juvenile penitentiaries. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there. Welcome back to Eye on Education. It is the start of our second season of our program that focuses uh, on learning and is basically the ideal show for anyone with a passion for knowledge, a passion for learning, uh, either for themselves or, of course, their children. Uh, We're going to be looking forward to uh, many more programs to come when we'll be looking at key issues such as the way that education develops, uh, how you can learn better in the classroom. And, of course, we'll step outside the classroom as well to find out uh, about the extra extra extracurricular activities that both we should be doing as adults and also that we should be involving uh, our children in. Uh, It's our great pleasure. I've got Andrew Hosey in the studio. We're going to do a quick run through first of the major news headlines in the education sector from the past week. Uh, And then coming up, we will be looking at the impact of uh, STEM education. Lots of girls and uh, lots of girls and women going studying the STEM subjects in schools and university. But there is still that skills gap. They still don't seem to be making it into careers in the sector. Uh, That is, of course, one of our hot topics today. Uh, But meanwhile, a UAE minister has announced the formation of new education councils. How are these going to work, Andrew? Yes, so that's right. The UAE's knowledge sector should include more input from teachers and pupils. That's the message that's coming out of this. Uh, The Minister of State for Public Education and Advanced Technology, Sarah bint Yusuf Al-Amiri, this came out as the Talim Council meet for this first time. That's how they're going to be known. There are three councils involving 35 teachers in total, including one for young teachers. Now, it's hoped the bodies will involve education professionals in finding and working on effective and innovative solutions to challenges in the academic field. You may remember, actually, Georgia, that these were actually announced back in October. So this is uh, them finally being implemented now and uh, ongoing from here on in. Fantastic. Yes, a big review going on in the UE's education system at the moment, of course. Uh, new ministers were brought in a few months ago, and I know that there's a, a major 
project going on at the moment to review and refresh the state education system here in the UAE. Right, let's take it international uh, because the UN chief has called for a worldwide commitment to transforming education. So this was because of the International Day of Education that was celebrated on Tuesday and we're going to focus on that a little bit later on in the show as well. And uh, Anthony, Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, is calling for countries to deliver education systems that can support equal societies, dynamic economies and the limitless dreams of every learner in the world. That's what he has said. Uh, The theme for International Day this year was to invest in people prioritize education and special focus was being given to girls and women in Afghanistan who have been prohibited from attending secondary schools and universities in the wake of the Taliban takeover back in August 2021. The Secretary General reiterated that education is a fundamental human right and warned that the potential could, as he said, wither on the vine without adequate investment. It has always been shocking to me that education has been given such a low priority in many government policies and in international cooperation instruments. Investment is critical to achieving Sustainable Development Goal 4. Last year's Transforming Education Summit gathered the world together to reimagine education systems so every learner accesses the knowledge and skills required to succeed. Over 130 countries made commitments to ensure that universal quality education becomes a central pillar of public policies and investments. A call to action on educational investment and the establishment of international financing facility for education created a fresh push on domestic and international financing. And the summit launched a range of global initiatives to mobilize support for education in crisis settings, girls' education, foundational learning, transforming teaching, digital tools and green education systems. Antonio Guterres there, of course, the United Nations Secretary General, uh, speaking as the UN marked International Day of Education. Uh, taking, uh, taking another look at another international story, because uh, UNICEF has suggested that the, U- the war in Ukraine has disrupted education now for more than five million children. Yes, this was also being discussed on Tuesday on the International Day of Education. And uh, they were saying that the impact of the conflict is compounding, obviously, the issues from COVID uh, and more than eight years of war for children in the east of the country, uh, for more than eight years of of war for children in the east of the country as well. Schools provide a crucial sense of structure and safety to children. That's according to Afshan Khan. She's the agency's regional director for Europe and Central Asia. Now, she actually visited Ukraine back in June and she told a press conference immediately afterwards the huge impact the war has had on children there. First and foremost, I think we've got to be clear that the numbers are staggering and they bear repeating. Nearly two-thirds of Ukraine's children are displaced, whether displaced inside the country or those who have fled across borders as refugees. And children have been forced to leave homes, friends, toys, treasured belongings, family members, and many of them alone with their mothers facing uncertainty about their futures. There have been at least 256 attacks on healthcare facilities, and one in six UNICEF supported safe schools in the east of the country have been damaged or destroyed. 
Right, let's take a look at schools in Saudi Arabia because private schools there are now allowed to change the hours of their day as well as uh, change the sort of structure and the duration of their class times. Yeah, so this is a decision by the ministry and its aim is to improve the educational sector there and help out with private and international schools, granting flexibility in determining the duration of the class hours by the private international schools. But it does say the duration of class hours should not be less than 35 minutes for elementary and intermediate level of schools and 40 minutes for the secondary schools. That's uh, per class, not per day, I'm kind of thinking. As for the time of starting school hours, it can be decided by the school authorities to advance by half an hour or delay by one hour from the approved standard timing. So this is so interesting because obviously there's a big debate here in the UAE as to whether or not schools should start slightly later. Uh, There was lots of studies that we actually spoke about in our last season of Ion Education that suggested that if children get more sleep, obviously they find it easier to concentrate on their studies. So it looks as if maybe Saudi Arabia's education ministry has uh, has seen those reports as well and is allowing private schools to change their times. Uh, Thank you very much for that roundup of education headlines. Andrew Hosey, much appreciated. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. We are turning our attention to what is one of the major topics, the hot topic of this week, uh, because more women in the UAE need to be brought into the core fields of science and technology. That is the message from the UAE's ambassador to Canada, speaking on a webinar organised by the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Centre, the Canadian embassy, the, the UAE's embassy in Canada, and the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. Intriguing you know, group of people to come together, uh, but fascinating to hear from the UAE's ambassador to Canada. His name is Farhad Saeed Al-Rakbani and he said that developing career paths for Emirati women should be a national priority but it should also be high on the global agenda. Mr Al-Rakbani said that while women were making significant strides in STEM subjects at a university level there was still some work to be done in certain fields. Now just a quick reminder STEM is of course that widely used umbrella term for education courses that focus on careers in science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Uh, I would say that on a personal level, I can remember I did chemistry, maths and physics up to GCSE uh, and biology. And I remember every Wednesday afternoon, I used to have triple physics. Now, if you take note of the fact that that was 30 years ago now, you give a, get a sense of just how much I hated physics. So I completely understand why girls aren't going into STEM subjects. I completely understand why they're not taking in as university degrees, because it never would have occurred to me to do it. But how do we encourage girls to take them? How do we encourage more women to consider jobs in science and technology? Joining me now to talk through that nitty gritty subject is Andrew Shear. He's an educational strategist at the Dubai based ed tech company, The Knowledge Hub, and he joins me in the studio. Hello there, sir. Hi, thank you for having me today. Thank you. Pleasure to have you with us. Tell me a bit about how the Knowledge Hub works. What, what's the deal? Sure. So the Knowledge Hub um, has been established now for over two decades. Um, as you uh, rightly said, we're based in Dubai. And our key offering is to help schools and educators in the UAE and across the GCC to improve their provisioning of STEM um, and core core subjects. Um, so we, we have many solutions to help schools improve their provision in those in those areas. 
Interesting. So you basically come in as an advisory, essentially, to try and make the subject more interesting. That, that, that's exactly correct. Um, so my job as the educational strategist is to try and help schools to make sure that their curriculums align and they're using the solutions to help them achieve their, their educational outcomes to give their students the best chances when they leave school and go into, into their careers or, or into further education. Do you think it's necessary to find different styles of teaching, different strategies for girls and boys, even at, you know, a young age? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, it, you know, across boys and girls, everyone has preferences in their styles of learning. Some people are more auditory learners. Some people prefer visual learning aids. Some people need that kinesthetic. Um, but I think the key to learning is to do. Um, and a lot of the solutions we provide in STEM include hardware. So the students are actually getting involved and getting used to using the products that they would go on and, and use in their, in their further career. Um, so I think, you know, the teachers will be assessing their students, their, their learning styles, and then they'll differentiate the instruction based, based on what they see. Are there clever techniques that have advanced since I was at school that make learning these really quite tricky subjects. Uh, well, I certainly found them a lot trickier. I found maths and, and chemistry and physics and things like that uh, way more complex. It, it sort of didn't meet my brain in quite the way I, uh, with English and French and languages and things like that. I just felt I could flow. But with these other subjects, there was a real stoppage for me. And as soon as you get that stoppage, you get people disengaging. Are there new strategies to help people learn? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, a lot of the solutions that we provide, um, obviously, they're, they're educational technology platforms. Um, so when the students first use the, the, the solution, the product, they will take a placement test. And from there, that will be an adaptive test. So it, it will give them um, subsequent questions that, that really depend on how they've answered the, the questions um, beforehand. Um, and, and it will set them at the right level. So it's going to differentiate the actual platform so that students are engaging with activities that are at the correct level for them because I think this is a key thing we need to really individualize the learning experience for everyone in the classroom um, so we've got the technology now to support this um, and and we have products like I said software and hardware um, and and these are helping students really to have that experience that is individual to them um, and to help them help them progress throughout their their you know their time in school so first thing don't make them feel stupid <laughs> which is fair enough exactly you've got to engage them you've got to make it accessible um, you know failure is something that we learn from so it's, it's really about the mentality that we instill in our students as well that, that you know failing is a good thing and it's actually a learning experience so we should learn and rate and how we improve our practice and how we educate ourselves so definitely um, you know it's it, you know it needs to be seen as a, a holistic learning experience do you have things like real life experiences you know do you translate it into pragmatic solutions for example the one thing i do remember from my triple physics class is how to rewire a plug i can change a fuse and rewire a plug and and i actually remember that because we were given the plug and a screwdriver uh, i mean of course my, many of the boys just use that screwdriver to poke each other uh, but i learned how to change a fuse and and i to this day i know how to and and that was great 
Amazing. You might be getting some phone calls for, for people now who are, who are struggling to use their electrical devices. But you're right. Um, we have a great product which is actually developed in Canada, which is quite ironic considering that this, this topic came from the UAE ambassador to, to Canada. Um, and, and, and these are project-based um, um, experiences. Um, so we have uh, like projects called Technobot AI. And in this technology project, students become artificial intelligence specialist so they're actually learning by doing and in a situational based um, scenario which is again it's going to help them to relate their education to experiences that they're going to need and skill sets that they're going to need as they go into higher education or into a career interesting stuff learning by doing clearly the future uh you know not just for plugs i mean the fact that i don't really know i can't really describe gravitational field and things like that means that i'm certainly not about to start a career in stem but fantastic to speak to you andrew thank you so much for joining us in the studio today Uh, andrew is an educational strategist at the dubai-based edtech company the knowledge hub lots of people getting in touch with us actually uh, about uh, their various sort of edtech uh, schemes. We've got one person here, Siba, has got in touch saying that I studied architecture and urban planning and I worked in the field for 15 years before switching to ed tech. And I've got an educational app for kids in Arabic that specifically teaches them STEM concepts. The idea is that it equips children with skills that don't necessarily oblige them to then uh, pursue a STEM career. Research suggests that it improves their chances of success, not only in school or the workplace, but life in general. So uh, Siba feels it's okay to not continue in a STEM career, But needless to say, the skills you acquire from STEM learning are super helpful for any career. Fascinating words there, Steve. Thank you very much for for getting in touch. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you in the studio. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there. Yes, welcome back to our special programme for anyone with a passion to learn. Yes, it is Eye on Education. And this hour, we're discussing how the UAE can get more women to take up careers in science and technology. That is after the UAE's ambassador to Canada suggested that developing career paths for Emirati women should be a national priority. And developing career paths for women should also be high on the global agenda. Fahad Saeed Al-Rakbani welcomed the large number of women who are graduating in STEM subjects at UAE universities. But strange. Strangely, that doesn't seem to be translating into more women in the workplace. Now, why is that? Joining me now to discuss it is Dr. Sonia Ben-Jafar, who is CEO of the UAE-based Abdullah Al-Gharir Foundation for Education, which is one of the largest privately funded philanthropic education initiatives in the Arab region. Uh, Dr. Ben-Jafar, how are you? It's been a while. It has been. It's nice to uh, hear you personally again, because yes. I listen to you all the time. Oh, thank you very much. It's also a pleasure to have you on the radio again. Always good to get your insights on big education initiatives and, and you know, big think thinky pieces when it comes to learning, frankly. I, I mean, I know the Abdullah al Foundation for Education works in several sectors in education. You have sort of several focuses. Do you encourage STEM take up among girls? Is that one of the things you focus on? 
Absolutely. It, it happens to be one of the very first things we focused on in 2015 when we launched. Um, and in, in fact, when we started, I mean, why do we exist? We existed because educational attainment in the region is lower than the global average. Youth unemployment is higher than the global average and graduates are unprepared for the workforce. And when 50% of women who, 50% of your population who are women are more vulnerable to these pieces, um, they were top of our radar the entire time through our programming. Why do you think there is a shortage of girls doing STEM subjects in the UAE still? Because obviously, I've been here eight years now. And from the the day I arrived, I heard about the government trying to encourage more girls to go into things like maths and uh, engineering and all the other technology and all the other STEM subjects. We definitely still have a little bit of an issue. Too many um, Emiratis uh, writ large are pursuing non-STEM disciplines, and we have a a, a pocket of, of people who are not really pursuing it. And then we have 89% of businesses in the UAE planning to to adopt technology tools by 2025. Plus you have the 4IR revolution and you have a lot of data showing that it's absolutely needed. Um, In terms of, you know, are Emirati women taking the subjects? I think that we have made a lot of progress and we might even be at a point um, where there are enough of them taking the subjects. In fact, Emirati women make up 70% of all university graduates in the UAE. But moving into from that to actually working in the STEM fields, well, that's something that is not just a UAE issue, but it's a global issue. For example, in Canada, um, in 2019, women earned approximately a third of all STEM post-secondary degrees. So, you know, we do have that problem, but I will say we also have a lot of hope. If you look at, for example, the Hope Probe mission, 80% of those scientists were women. So we can have that dedication to, to making that transition when we actually dedicate ourselves to it. So certainly uh, girls growing up in the UAE, whether they're Emirati or, or expat, have these role models to look up to. I have to admit that because I didn't enjoy any of the STEM subjects at school, I find it really hard to imagine a way in which the teachers could have encouraged me to enjoy them more, encouraged me to access them more. Like if someone said to me age 16, look, you really ought to be carrying on with maths, chemistry, technology, because that's going to be the career of the future. I'd have felt depressed because that's not my vibe. Like I, I didn't feel very good at those subjects. I didn't feel I was going to be, ex- to be able to excel in those subjects. And I certainly couldn't see a career going forward in them. I mean, in that situation, is it just a question that, you know, is it just a matter that you're not getting the right teaching, that you're not seeing the right pathways? Or are some people just not suited to go into STEM careers? Well, I would say that STEM has grown enormously since that time. And I and I feel you. Um, but it's not just about engineers. We shouldn't just be thinking of STEM as just the engineers or just the mathematicians. The fact is, all of that underlies all of the digital uh, baseline uh, technology that we need to now be adept with. So we would expect that it's not about, you know, being able to code everything, but it's about being able to know that you can code and that it's not as hard as people think. Right. And that's, and that's part of STEM, right? So in our tech up program, for example, in less than a year, we had 7,500, 
uh, Emiratis enroll, and 68% of those are women. So there is a component that they want to do it, and they want to learn, and they want to be part of the sector. I do think you're absolutely right that in terms of how we teach in K-12, through well, if we make it more project-based, more lab-based, more of what science is about, of creating hypotheses, of doing those kinds of experiments, we will get a lot more engagement from the students who want to do this. But again, we still do have that translation to work issue. Yeah, I worry about that specific moment, because if all these uh, women, including Emirati women, are doing these fantastic degrees in STEM subjects, 70% of, you know, of degrees uh, earned here in the UAE uh, are earned by women. Why are they not in the workplace? Why, you know, we've got this massive um, uh, emiratization policy going on at the moment where uh, Emiratis are being encouraged to take jobs in the private sector, where private companies are being, well, legally forced to take more Emiratis into into their companies, which I'm sure they want to do. But it's that, you know, it, it seems so odd that these girls, women, are not finding roles. It does seem odd. And I think part of it, it has to do with, um, at least in our research, it has shown that um, we know that 71% of Emiratis are working women are in the public sector. That's one thing. We know from our focus groups across the entire nation that they prefer that working environment, that culture um, feel. And I think that that's something that um, we're now working on as an entire nation with the NAFIS programs and things like that. But we also need to accept that this is a global issue. This is not a UAE issue. We have a lack of role models and senior level leaders across the globe in this sector. You know, Credit Suisse Gender's 3000 report said women account for about 17% of managers in the IT industry in 2019. Only 3% of those were CEOs. By 2021, you had 22% of them being CFOs in information technology. We don't have enough of those role models and leaderships, um, leaders to be able to say, okay, this is now normalized. And I think that there are things that we can do. And so one of them, and I think the government has done this, is recognize the value of women in STEM for economic development, overlooking 50% of your labor force in human capital for something that's your future is just not smart. But the second piece, and I think this is where we really need to focus and the private sector needs to do a better job, create an enabling work environment. Access to education and training, I think, has been taken care of. We're doing an excellent job. But, for example, networking opportunities to be inclusive of females in this country um, until they're more organic need to be better. Um, They need more flexible work schedules for balance. And when I say better, for example, when you have a network opportunity at 6 p.m., uh, when that's most bedtime. of these women are rushing home. Yeah, yes. that's bedtime it's, for the kids. You yes, can't go. you're making it, but yeah. exactly. So you're saying you're making the opportunity, but you're not taking into account what their needs are. And that's what I mean by making an enabling environment. And we know what networking can do. So we do know that. And then finally, you know, knowing that role models matter and having the right people at the helm, creating those enabling environments is very important. So um, if you do, I still have time to talk about one particular role model. We've got thirty seconds. Go ahead, please. Yes, I'll say Her Excellency Sarah Alamari, computer science graduate from American University of Sharjah and head of public education and advanced technology. So we have hope for what you were talking about to change. Let's make STEM education in schools more exciting, and let's bridge that gap to work. Amazing. Purposefully. 
Amazing. Uh, in 30 seconds, normally people cave under that type of pressure. I certainly do. Uh, thank <laughs> you very much indeed. Uh, Dr. Sonia Benjafar there, who is CEO of the UAE-based Abdullah al Foundation of Education. Food for thought as we head towards our lunchtime break of just how we can encourage more girls, more women to not just take STEM subjects at school, but also to continue it into their careers. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to Ion Education. I'm Georgia Tolley. I'm here until one o'clock with this special programme, which basically is designed for anyone with a passion for learning. Now let's turn our attention to someone, or specifically something, who is celebrating its century. Yes, the Walt Disney Company is turning 100 years old with a series of events in their theme parks. We're asking you, who is your favourite Disney character to, to celebrate 100 years of Disney? But we also wanted to give the subject a bit of an education twist. That's in fitting, of course, with our programme today. So we were fascinated to discover that teachers working in the juvenile penitentiary system in the US are using Disney to create engaging lessons for their students. We wanted to find out more. Andrew Hosey managed to get in touch with Dr. Kaylee Holland. Now, she's Director of Instructional Technology and Blended Learning at Break Free Education and also at the Google Educators System. I spoke to her last night and I asked her to explain why and how she uses Disney in her teaching practices. What I love so much about Disney um, and more specifically their theme parks is that it's truly an experience from the moment you pull in <laughs> to the moment you leave. So if you're there for a day, it really truly is an experience. Um, and that's what I, I hope with this workshop that I created um, pulls teachers in because we want that same kind of experience in the classroom. Okay, so that's so that's really intriguing that you bring that immersive Disney experience into your workshops. But it must be quite tricky because realistically, the pupils are in a juvenile facility. It must be about as far away from Disney World as it gets. Yes, it is. But what we what I try to do is highlight certain areas where teachers can really create this kind of experience. So, um, for example, when you talk about purposely designing content for students, so you're going to have these students, no matter if they're from a juvenile justice facility or from the public school down the road, a teacher has students for a certain amount of minutes every day. And so we talk about how Disney literally plans your experience from when you drive into their theme park, you know, where are you going to eat lunch? How are you going to get around? So for example, we talk about organization, right? Um, Disney takes these moments 
in the park that might be frustrating for a participant. How do you get from one park to another? Um, and they provide organization. There's lots of maps, there's lots of shuttles, things like that. So we pull that into a classroom and we look at how do we take those frustrating moments for students and, and eliminate those. So we talk about digital organization or physical organization, making things easily accessible for students. Because if a student is coming to your class and already had struggles with your content, so let's say math, for example. So a student is in your classroom, he already struggles with math. It's not that he hates math or you as the teacher, it's just that math maybe makes him feel, you know, uh, uh, not as smart <laughs> as he could be or frustrated, then if you're then going to ask him to click through four different websites to access your content, you've lost this student. You're going you're to get nothing out of him for the day. Um, so that's one way we talk about organization. If you ask someone to click more than three times to get to something online, then you've really lost them already. So it's really about user design. Um, another thing we talk about is modifications and affirmations. So with Disney, they, they will affirm you in many ways, right? They have these Disney buttons that say, um, first time or, um, you know, it's my anniversary, it's my birthday, that kind of thing. So they take something that might be seen as a negative that you've never been to Disney before. And they turn it into a positive and they have you wear these buttons. So everyone that day can say, oh, congrats for coming for the first time or congrats on your anniversary and things like that. Um, so we turn that into how do you really affirm kids? How do you highlight things that they're doing well, whether that's academic or not? Um, and then my favorite way that we we really connect to Disney, you know, Disney creates these what I call Insta-worthy moments, right? They have these areas all around the parks. They want you to take pictures in front of them. They want you to put it on Instagram. They want you to share it with the world. So then the world will come to their park, I'm sure is their goal. Um, they hire people, right, to take these photos. But in the classroom, we want to create those Insta-worthy moments as well. And what we do in the classroom is help students apply their knowledge by creating products and those products can be seen by an authentic audience. That's uh, that's what we call it for me in education. So with the work I do with Break Free Education, I help teachers design their lessons that include a type of product that has an authentic audience to it. So for example, there is a facility in New York that creates these beautiful pieces of art and the local airport displays them. Um, so their authentic audience is the, the travelers going in and out of the airport. But that's how we kind of connect this magic of Disney. I mean, everyone, you know, Disney has millions of people and you stand in line all day long and it's no one gets frustrated or tired. And it's like, how do you create that magic of Disney into your classroom? So there's just a couple of ways. Does it work? It sounds like it must it because it's so, I mean, you're already, do you know, I always know when something works when I, when I'm doing an interview with somebody and I think, oh gosh, I don't do that with my children enough, or I don't, I don't bring enough magic into their lives. You know, you sort of get, it, on one level I'm inspired and on the other level I'm worried that I'm not doing the best I can. Yeah, it really does work because students are more engaged in something that they participate in. So it's it's this idea that I'm not here to lecture you. Um, I'm not here to to talk at you for 45 minutes. I really want you to be engaged in what we're learning. I want you to have ownership 
in what we're learning. And then they're building that product that's Insta-worthy and going to have an authentic audience for it um, to be seen. And that gives them value, right? That means their voice then is valued. And especially for our students who are in a juvenile justice facility, that doesn't happen often. Um, and so for many students, they they remember for years these experiences that we create in the classroom. So then if you can connect those experiences to some type of academic content then they're sold and they're engaged in your lesson and it's relevant and it's meaningful and they're learning and they don't even realize they're learning because you've created such a fun experience for them in the classroom. That is Dr. Kayla Holland. Now, she's Director of Instructional Technology and Blended Learning at Breakfree Education. She also works with Google Educators. Absolutely fascinating, really inspiring to hear how she uses uh, Disney, the motifs of Disney, the techniques of the Disney uh, theme parks, basically to inspire her children. Uh, amazing, really, really fascinating work. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai, passionate about creating personalized learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Now, in the run-up to COP28 in Dubai in November, every sector in the UAE needs to look at its eco-credentials. The schools are no different. I'd love to hear from you uh, in the cars. What is your school doing to make itself more eco-friendly? What are you doing personally uh, as a pupil or a parent to uh, improve your eco-credentials when it comes to your learning? Do get in touch, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 because you'll remember there is a ban on single-use plastics due to be brought into force in 2026. Then uh, things that will be prohibited include uh, plastic cutlery, drinks cups, styrofoam and boxes. The plastic bags will be banned by January the 1st next year. That is nationwide. But it's fair to say that eco-minded schools are getting ahead of the curve as their pupils, needless to say, are eager to learn. They're eager to make a difference to the planet. Now, a little bit earlier, I caught up with Lily Jackson. She's a specialist art teacher at Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. She also is the lead on their eco-activities. And I started by asking her whether Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai considers itself an eco-friendly school. Definitely. I'd like to think of RGS as eco-conscious as a school. Our campus was actually built with this focus on sustainability and eco-friendly solutions. We uh, won the Bream Award when we opened our school, which is great because we have uh, solar panels on our roof, our car park and our sports hall as well, which generate actually 30% of our energy usage. We have our water AC units, which are collecting uh, from the air, which are used for irrigation to water the plants, and everything is timed, so we actually reduce our energy consumption there as well. And our building itself has such a fantastic shape and structural design, it allows the most natural light into the classroom, which again results in less energy usage. So what type of eco-projects, what type of measures have RGS implemented to become more environmentally friendly, you know, since you opened a few years ago? We have recycling bins across the campus and in every classroom. We monitor our energy bills, which our Year 7 eco-ambassadors actually track on our working eco-board. We've just made our pledge to become single-use plastic-free by the end of 2023. And this is a really big goal we're working towards by partnering with Avani Middle East, who are a recycled uh, packaging company who are going to replace all of our lunch 
packaging and in our parent cafe as well. We've also just partnered with Degrade Recycling, which is a plastic bottle initiative. We then will invite our school community to bring in plastic waste, which will then be collected and properly recycled. And our final one, we just had our Eco Week where we had a number of guest speakers, including Trutex, which is our school uniform, which are again actually recycled, Green Energy Solutions, Earth Cubs, which are an app which raise awareness about different environmental factors for children, Avani Recycling and Blossom Honey, which are a local honey uh, company across the UAE. We then linked activities to raise awareness for each course. It sounds like you've been very busy indeed. Is the general gist that you're trying to work with your pupils to make them more eco-conscious? Or is that not necessary? Is this new generation that we're bringing up, are they already pretty aware? No, completely. It's our daily conscious effort, which we're all a part of. We have a fantastic eco-team. So our ambassadors, led by our year sevens, we have nine children who put together our school calendar and actually go above and beyond to research different organizations and companies to come to the school and lead activities. We then also have a student per class throughout the school. So we have a total of 50 children who are all dedicated to making a change within the community. We started this project actually in September when I met with the year 17. We brainstormed lots of ideas And then throughout the terms, they lead each next step to our eco-ambassadors to show our mission to become more sustainable. So, yes, do you think the children are enthusiastic about these courses? You know, are they already quite aware of climate change? I know that, oddly enough, the subject of climate anxiety has come up quite a bit recently. Definitely. And we're all constantly learning. Every day is a school day. And with our teachers helping spread awareness through our curriculum and local news, we can continue to raise this awareness and help create a bigger change. We're lucky to live in such a place like Dubai, where there are so many great initiatives and organisations. We see the benefits of this now through all of our different partnerships and associations with the school. And it's all just these small steps that when we put them together, they create this bigger action. How about parents are they ready to come on board I know as a working parent I have to admit the eco-friendly practices of my children's school is probably quite low down my schedule of things to worry about uh, my schedule of things to worry about what um what you know do you, do you think your parents are excited about getting involved in these types of campaigns most definitely we actually have several parents who we work with already at RGS So Armella Farms, which are the parents of a few of our year seven pupils. These are the lettuces you might already see in the shops. These are grown through hydroponics and they actually inspired our hydroponics in RGS. Our year sevens then maintain the plants each week and these are then used in our school lunches. And this whole cycle just continues the children to learn about the future of sustainable farming. We also have another great initiative called Sand Sherpa, who we are linked to, one of our year four parents. This is a desert conservation eco-adventure site. They teach survival skills, discuss environmental factors, animal conservation, and water storage. So this is just the beginning of our sustainability journey. We're all part of a bigger community, and we really do encourage the children to aim high. It is the heart of our ethos. 
uh, aspiration is really truly at the heart of what we're doing and it's the driving force of everything here at RGS. Lily Jackson there, who's the specialist art teacher and the lead on the eco activities at Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai, getting us a little bit of a sense, a bit of a flavour of uh, what pupils are getting up to in some of the schools in the UAE. Interesting to hear there of the many measures that they've uh, brought in there from recycling uh, to a... I suppose, a conservationly minded built building, you know, right down to the solar panels and and the green spaces. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. We are discussing sustainability in schools on our special schools programme today, as it is the run-up to COP28 in Dubai in November. I know we started early, but it is a big deal that they're hosting it here. Uh, And every sector in the UAE is going to need to look at its eco-credentials. Now, you'll remember there's a ban on single-use plastics due to be uh, brought into force by 2026. It will be then prohibited to import or, or obviously use plastic cutlery, drinks cups, styrofoam and boxes. Now, that's going to be tricky. If you think how many people get takeaway food every single day here. There's such a sort of disposable culture, isn't there? Meanwhile, plastic bags are going to be banned by January the 1st next year. Uh, so I must be the least sustainably minded person you know, but even I have now started to take in, you know, the sort of bag for life type scenario. I hate using plastic bags. In fact, I went to Waitrose a couple of days ago <laughs> and I bought five items and you should have seen me. I was like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not taking a bag. I'm not paying for a bag. I'm going to carry all of these things out. So I literally, and, and I thought of the, the movie Dirty Dancing, I literally carried a watermelon out to my car, plus all the other bits and pieces, looking like a complete idiot because I refused to pay for a plastic bag. But that's the level uh, to which it's got me now. Now, um, we're talking about, obviously, iron education. We're talking about what the schools are doing. We just heard that the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai uh, is uh, basically has, has teamed up with Degrade um, with their Simply Bottles school recycling scheme. Uh, and we wanted to find out a bit more about it and the other schools that were involved. Uh, so I'm joined now by Degrade's Ella Clements, who is their schools manager. Join me in the studio. Hi, Ella, how are you? Hello, Georgia. Thank you for inviting me. I'm good. It's a pleasure. Thank you for fighting your way through the rain uh, to come and join us. So many people were a bit like, no, it's, it's raining. We can't, we can't make it. So it's lovely to have you here with us in the studio. Tell me a little bit about what Degrade does and how you've decided to team up with the schools in order to progress your strategy. Mm, okay. Well, Degrade is um, a company, a uh, manufacturing company. We're making... Um, a green span uh, clothing from recycling plastic bottles, and uh, we uh, we have a Simply Bottles initiative, which is initiative for for schools here in the UAE. But we also have uh, Simply Bottles for corporate clients. Well, Simply Bottles for schools um, is an initiative that we run uh, here for the last five years, and uh, we want to encourage students here in the UAE to recycle plastic, but also uh, to spread the awareness and educate the students about how they can reduce, reuse and recycle. Also, we want to show them what can be done with the plastic here. So general gist is you try to get every single pupil uh, at the schools that you're working with to bring in their plastic bottles. Absolutely, yes. And they just bring them into school and then once a month you pick them up. 
Yes, we do that, and also we 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 do different uh, different things with the help of our partnership. So with our partners, we we partner with uh, My Dubai, and they help us to uh, run competitions and uh, different challenges. Uh, so we also yes we also can offer now uh, competitions challenges for schools uh, where they can win a fantastic prizes plastic men's prizes yes. I love this idea because essentially it's very very clever on your part and because you're doing something that's great for the environment you get away with it but essentially you're getting pupils to bring in your raw material for free that you then turn into this fantastic material that can then be used for other. Uh, you know, for bags, for clothes. Uh, but, but for me, the disconnect comes between this plastic bottle that I'm holding and the T-shirt that you're wearing that I just went over and felt a little bit earlier on, which just feels like a normal T-shirt. So how on earth are you doing this process? And are you doing it in the UAE, this this sort of magical transformation? So our factory is here in, um, in Kizad, in Abu Dhabi. And that's where we take in all the plastic bottles uh, for recycling. Uh, now yes, we uh, we can we can show that that's the that's the most important thing actually for us to show the the students how we recycle the plastic uh, rather than just say empty word recycle. We can show them how we collect, recycle, and then show them the final product. Uh, so yeah, we want them to be proactive. So they can come and see the factory when they come and visit. Does, is it literally plastic plastic bottles going in one corner? Then they get mashed up or something, and then but then how does they how do they become a t shirt? Well, it's a long process. Okay. At the moment, we're only flaking. Okay, uh, we only yes, we're seeing it's a long process, and uh, yes, but the, the the idea is yes to that the student will be able to come and see the factory how it works and just give them idea to see how the recycling process looks like. And so essentially the the plastic that's in the bottles is the same as the plastic that's in a polyester t-shirt. Is that right? That's correct. That's exactly the same thing. So what we make from recycling plastic bottles is polyester. So anything made from polyester can be made from recycled plastic bottles. Have you ever run out of plastic bottles or are there enough coming in? Well, that's the, yes, the, the recycling rate here in the UAE is very low. So with Simply Bottles, uh, we really want to increase the recycling rate. And through the education and engagement, we want to increase it. At the moment, it's only 6%. Six? So, oh, wow. Yes. That's bad. That's, that's really low. bad. That, that yeah. means that from 100 bottles, only six will be recycled right now. So 94 will end up in the landfill. It will end up in the desert, in That's the ocean. That's a staggering number. Yes, yeah. it's very low. So if we're in, if with the school help and everyone else, if we can increase this number, that will be fantastic because we want to recycle all the plastic bottles here yeah. in the UAE. And Absolutely. That- and then I, I suppose the next step, and I imagine you work in tandem with the other companies, you know, the, the, the first, what would be ideal is if no one was using plastic at all. But if they have to, then you guys want to grind it up and make it into fabric. I think with the plastic is we, we don't say we hate plastic. We don't hate plastic. The thing is with plastic, I don't think it's going away. Um, however, there is plastic that shouldn't be used, like, as you said, the polystyrene. Um, there is plastic that is very easy to be recycled and is very useful. I think the plastic, which is the, the plastic bottles, uh, PET, number one, is um, it's very useful, it's very light, it's easy to transport and it's very easy to recycle. 
So I think this plastic will stay. However, people need to learn that this plastic should, well, it has to be recycled. And then we can use it and uh, it will not end up in the ocean. It will, we will not have a plastic pollution. It will live again. It will uh, live again. And uh, live again as a T-shirt yes, or, or a bag for life. life. It will live again. Uh, Ella Clements, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming in. Ella's in charge of the uh, schools program for D-Grade. They have that Simply Bottles school recycling scheme. If you don't have it at your school yet, it might be worth asking the principal whether or not you can add it in because they are always on the hunt for more bottles to recycle. Absolutely astonished at that figure. Only 6% of plastic bottles in the UAE currently being recycled. We really do need to change that. Ella, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Georgia. Lovely to have you in. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to Eye on Education. Georgia Tolly here, keeping you company until one o'clock right here on Dubai Eye at 103.8. And this week, the United Nations marked International Day of Education. Now, that's a moment when the global community comes together with a focus on how girls and boys in developing countries can get access to education. Now, COVID-19, conflict and poverty means millions of children are missing out on school. And girls in particular have uh, been well, haven't been making it into the classroom, uh, partly because uh, people have become poorer and therefore invariably it is girls who miss out on the cost of going to school and boys are prioritised. But schools here in the UAE and charities here in the UAE are trying to help. Uh, I'm joined now uh, by one organisation, Cognita Schools, who are trying to help in their own way in Africa. I'm joined by Lizzie Varley. She's the education advisor in safeguarding inclusion and well-being for Cognita Schools. Lizzie, thanks for joining me on Teams. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you with us. I mean, I often think with these sort of UN days, if you know what I mean, that they can sort of, they can be a little bit predictable. They can sort of pass by the wayside slightly. But what does International Day of Education mean for somebody like you who actually works in the school industry, the school sector here in the Emirates? Um, Yeah, I think for me, it's all about celebrating how powerful education can be um, and how it plays a key role in peace and development. Um, And I think it's it's a really good opportunity just to press pause and to think about how we're all contributing uh, to allow equitable access to education for everyone, Um, you know, with the aim of breaking the cycle of poverty. And um, it's I do find it, especially working in the UAE, it's, it's a wonderful place to be. Um, the schools are so um, diverse. It's so, such an international place. And it, it's a great opportunity to, you know, to understand difference and to get people together and with 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 a purpose of, you know, making a difference and doing something together that, you know, will will move the world forward. Um, so I think um, with days such as these, I, th- I think they're very, very important um, and they're, they're worth recognising and talking about and making making sure this is at the forefront of everyone's agenda. You've got several schools here in the UAE. Do you, you know, actively celebrate it in the classrooms? Do you mark it in the classrooms? 
Um, I think so. You'll see most schools in the UAE celebrating international days um, and uh, RGS uh, this week, they had theirs on Wednesday. And whilst it's not directly linked to the purpose of the International Day of Education, like I say, what it does do is it celebrates the diversity that exists within our schools um, and how understanding and celebrating difference promotes empathy and supports different nationalities working together. Um, and we also um, we do have a lot of importance on holistic education um, about well-being and ensuring our children grow up understanding the importance of kindness and compassion. And, and that is built uh, within the curriculum. Part of the PSHE programmes look at the Universal Declaration of Human Rights um, and Article 26, which this uh, International Day of Education is really all about, that everyone has a right to an education. So we talk to the children about that, about the fact that not everyone does. And, you know, we are very fortunate where we live, but that is not the reality of the world. So it's making sure that we do as much as we can for children in the UAE so they, they can understand that this isn't the reality for everyone and that we do have a role in um, in doing something positive as, as they go into adulthood and the choices they make when they get older will have a, a massive impact on, on the rest of the world and other people. I like to regularly remind my children when they're sulking about extra maths or whatever it is that that children in in developing countries sometimes walk miles to go to school. And that's after they've, you know, done a day's work. They'll still walk two miles to school to sit in a crowded classroom with no iPads and barely even any pencils. And and it's certainly it's good. You know, you can widen. I'm in minor eight and nine and it widens their eyes. It gives them a sense of how privileged they are to even be able to go and hang out with their friends, you know, with a little bit of maths and English on the side, which I, I have to say, I think is how my boys see it. Uh, I mean, what work do you do here at, with Cognita? What work do you do to support education in, in other regions? Have you got, have you sort of teamed up with, with African schools or with, with, with Indian schools? Um, yeah, well, at the moment, we, we've um, partnered with the Sparkle Foundation in Malawi, um, and that, that's a, a relatively new partnership. We, we began working with them in September, and as much as we were raising, um, arranging fundraising events um, with our staff, parents and children, and looking at that within the curriculum, we've also um, developed a learning and and development program for staff in Malawi. Uh, we have a group of, a wonderful group of about 20 teacher uh, volunteers volunteers who are supporting us with that and we're actually we're going to um, Malawi in March to do an education review um, and Cognita typically do education reviews in, in all of their schools and that's really with a focus on um, supporting schools with their self-evaluation process and the improvement planning but we're, we're going to go to Malawi and do that with Sparkle um, um, with the aim of kind of trying to understand where they are, what we can do to support the development of their teaching staff. Um, and the idea is we're, we're coming back here, we're going to develop a CPD programme, an online CPD programme for their teachers. And we have um, our teachers uh, mentoring uh, one of their teachers in Malawi for six months doing this online CPD programme. And then we're going to go um, as a teaching group to Malawi um, in October half term and do that face-to-face -face, um, support as well. So as much as we are, um, you know, we're doing that fundraising and we're getting everyone actively involved, we're also really trying to make a difference in, in the school in Malawi. And I think in the natural kind of the benefit of that is um, is having those teachers who are super excited anyway um, about being involved and having that opportunity to give back. But they um, coming back into all of our schools kind of so inspired by what they're doing and what they're seeing. It's infectious with our own children. And I think it's always so important that, you know, our children are taught by 
um, people that we want to be role models for them. And if we've got, you know, our staff over there making a difference and bringing all that kind of learning and that joy and that um, kind of motivation back into our classrooms, that that will kind of um, that will help our children even more want to, you know, think of themselves about how they can do something different to, you know, something to give back and something to make a difference themselves. Now, this week, the United Nations marked International Day of Education. Basically, these moments are designed as a, a, to sort of bring the community together with a focus on how boys and girls in developing countries can get access to education. Now, COVID-19, conflict and poverty means millions of children are missing out on their time in the classroom. And girls in particular are often the first to be excluded from schools because, of course, education can be expensive. Uh, and in some families, boys are still prioritised. Joining us now to discuss what schools here in the UAE, or at least school groups here in the UAE, are doing to help developing countries is Lizzie Varley. She's the education advisor in safeguarding inclusion and well-being for Cognita schools. Lizzie, thanks for staying with us. Now, I know that you work with the Sparkle Foundation and they uh, run a series of projects, including schools in Malawi. Uh, One of the big sustainability goals is, of course, uh, equality for girls and boys. Is that something that you guys are working with Sparkle to to ensure? Yeah, absolutely. They've they um they've got a, a number of different initiatives out there in Malawi to support um girls and women um in terms of getting back into education. Um, they actually have a, a women's group of about 75 uh, women who are girls from their youth group, those that have dropped out of school from their local community, or even ladies who've never had the opportunity to go to school um, and to learn to read and write themselves. So in that group, they are teaching um, teaching them about village saving loans, microfinance, and how to set up businesses. Um, and Sparkle are able to then invest in some of those um, so the women can begin their, their own businesses. They have about 20 small businesses at the moment they are supporting. And the whole idea is to obviously empower those women to be able to um, go on and support their own families. Um, there's also um, a youth group that we are we are wanting to, um, again, get involved with. It's um, teaching girls about women's rights, about understanding of gender-based violence. Um, they also have self-defence classes and that kind of understanding, teaching them understanding about what their legal rights are in Malawi as well um, and also a project about looking at um, girls within the local communities that have fallen out of school and how to get them back back into school again so there are a number of things that sparkle are focusing on and that we're looking to support them with especially those um, the youth groups that are running within the schools and the teaching of those now I know that you're getting parents and pupils involved in the project as well but but this partnership with sparkle is fairly new to you guys is it working? Is it something you'd recommend as a model to other schools and organisations? Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, obviously, we're in our early stages. But I think what's been brilliant, especially a, a great example at RGS with their parent community. Um, we've got we've got a, an amazing um, group, core group of um, parents from RGS who are working on ways of um, fundraising across the school um, for Spark. And I think what's lovely about RGS being that kind of new, new school, it's um, everyone's so kind of motivated to build the community and, and to make a difference as well. So, so so far they've um 
but just before uh, the winter break, they organised for all the children to make um, Christmas tree, tree decorations that they then sold at the winter fair so parents could buy them uh, to raise money for, for Sparkle. And also the PE department um, for the 3030 challenge, they organised a glow run for the families across the community. So um, they all got together and, and raised money for that. Um, I think what's what's really lovely about the partnership and why I would hugely recommend it is initially, obviously, we started this to help and to make a difference and to, you know, to give back our time and to help in Malawi. However, at the same time, it just there's so many um, benefits back here. And for us, it's it's, it's um, like a, a dual uh, positive outcomes, um, even just from connecting, like the connections that we're making across the schools, between our staff, between the parents um, and every, everyone's working together towards a common goal of, of doing Doing something great so uh, yeah I couldn't recommend this model more and um, there are so many positive outcomes from it. Uh, it's so good to hear that Lizzie I'm afraid we've reached the end of the agenda but it's amazing and really inspiring to hear about how uh, the you, this partnership with a school in Malawi is making such a difference both for you guys and for, for the students over in Africa as well. Lizzie Marley there the education advisor in safeguarding inclusion and well-being for Cognita schools. <laughs> And that's all from the Eye on Education podcast for this week. Make sure you tune in every Friday from 11am to catch up on the latest education headlines.